So, so we've been talking about camping, and I'm putting this kind of front and center right now because that'll help me help you to relate to what we're talking about today. What are your notable smells? What are the things that you like best about camping? Yeah, the smells. What are, what are the smells? Mia, the trees, pine needles, Ashley, s'mores. Campfire. What was, what's the other one? Coffee. Bug spray. Wow, you are different there, young lady. And if somebody said citronella candles, I'd really be worried about you. But, uh, you know, I was reading, and, and I don't know if they really did a scientific survey on this, but they said that the top smell is bacon. Bacon cooking over the fire. So, um, but for some of us, your idea of camping is the Holiday Inn, and it might be a particular brand of shampoo that you enjoy most. But uh, my, my favorites are definitely the smell of the campfire, bacon cooking, trees, pine needles. I, I can relate to everything that you guys said except for the bug spray. I just... <laughs> can't wrap my mind around that, but smell, smells can be a reminder of comfort. I don't know about you guys, but I still remember a distinct smell. I, I've not had the pleasure of being able to smell it in many years, many, many, many years, but I still remember that my grandmother's house had a very distinct smell, and I think it was a, a combination of overcooked green beans with bacon, cornbread, and buttermilk. There were other smells kicked in there, but I think for my, my grandmother, I remember as a little kid going over to her house and uh, her pulling out the cornbread and the buttermilk. And her idea of great fun was to put the cornbread in the glass of buttermilk. And... Uh, <laughs> I just never could get there as a kid. Now, I might enjoy it better now than, than back then, but uh, the thing that I remember, though, is going to Grandma's house had this distinctive smell, and it was just, it was one of those things, as soon as I, I got a whiff of it, I was like, I'm at Grandma's house. The other one that every once in a while I get a whiff of, even here in Cody, is I get a smell of the coast. And I know we're a long ways away from the Oregon coast, but I still get a whiff every once in a while. I go, oh, the beach. Thank you, God. You sent me, you sent me that smell many, many miles away. In fact, in reading and in doing some research on this message this morning, uh, Mom and Dad I may have an early connection to the coast that I can't help but have because uh, since I was born, I was born in Portland, Oregon, but we lived on the coast at the time in Tillamook, Oregon. And because of that, I think that's why I always have this desire to go back to Tillamook. And, and if you've been to Tillamook, the only thing that's really desirous about going to Tillamook is the cheese factory to get ice cream. But the smell of the coast is comforting to me. And uh, in doing some research about this today, I, I ran across some things, and I'm thinking, wow, it's, 
and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I'm going to tell you guys, smells are powerful. They're, they're powerful reminders, and we're going to find out a little bit of why that's, that's so important. So, but first, let's, um, it's been a while uh, since we've been on God's big camping trip, so I want to do some quick review. And uh, Mike, if you could put up that uh, picture of the tabernacle, the, the whole thing. Um, there we go. Just to remind you guys of the size and, again, um, this 40-year camping trip <clears throat> that is still shaping our faith in God. You guys catch that? This camping trip that God took, 40-year camping trip with the Israelites, is still shaping our faith in God today. It still speaks about it. There are things in the words that we, we sang this morning that are directly connected to that. There are ways that uh, we relate to this, like leading them out of Egypt, out of bondage, that, that Jesus is leading us out of bondage. He, he led us out of sin and into righteousness, leading them to the promised land, through the wilderness, meeting God at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, um, there they received many instructions, including the, the Ten Sayings, or we know them better as the Ten Commandments. Um, they receive instructions to build this, a tent of meeting. In other words, God's saying, not only do I love you, not, not only do I care about you, but I want you to know I want to tabernacle with you. I want to be in the very center of your camp. And being in the very center of your camp which, which for us doesn't mean a whole lot, but to them it spoke of royalty. The, the one who's at the center of our camp is king. And that's where God was, was at. This tabernacle was, was in the center of their camp. So we've looked at the layout. We've looked at the white linen fence, the outer court, the gate, the brazen altar, the bronze laver. Entrance into the holy place, the door. We've looked at the golden table of showbread. <clears throat> if you remember correctly, if, if I had room up here right now, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll just do this with you guys real quick, is the golden table of showbread. If we were in the, um, the holy place, the golden table of showbread would be over here. The golden lampstand would be over here. But the center, and <clears throat> sorry, but I don't have a golden... Uh, altar of incense, so the stool's going to have to work for today. And I also don't have that incense that they used, so you're going to have to put up with this s'more-smelling candle. I thought since we were talking God's camping trip, God would be into s'mores, don't you guys think? So it is a s'more-scented candle. And so that represents uh, where we're going uh, today. When, when we look at the focal point of the holy place, the golden altar of incense is that focal point. As you, as you come in, yes, there's the, um, the showbread or the table, uh, or the bread of presence over here. There's the, the light of the, the golden lampstand, the menorah that's there that speaks of the number of man in, in that there's six uh, branches off of that. And there's one in the center and that speaks of Christ, the seventh, the complete work of, of God in Jesus Christ giving light to us, but this is where we're headed. And um, let's look at Exodus 30. 
1 through 10. If you have your Bibles or your uh, smartphone handy with a Bible app on it. And uh, Mike, would you go to the next slide? I think that's where I want to be. Yeah, so let's just kind of have that up for a little bit here. Exodus 30, verses 1 through 10. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. So it's about 18 inches by 18 inches, depending on how long of an arms the the cubit was measured on at that time. I have a pretty long arm from elbow to fingertip, so it'd probably be a bit more than 18 inches. But that's what they figure the cubit at is 18 inches. So 18 by 18 and it shall be square. In fact, if you guys go and look at, at some of the old language in this, it shall be four square. And, and I'm, I'm saying that partly because we're the four square church, but the word four square, people ask me about what's a four square church. And, and I'm just going to tell you guys, four square is an old English term that most of us don't use very often. But four square means, uh, it can mean having four even sides, which for us, we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior healer, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and soon coming king. So there's equal sides to that. But the other thing about Foursquare is, is we would say if, if you build a house, you hope the foundation is Foursquare. That it's solid, it's firm, it's built properly, that it's not higher on one end than it is on the other. It's not twisted, it's not out of shape. Foursquare means that it has integrity, it's ready to be built on. And so I, th- I think that's interesting when it shall be four square. It's good to be building on what we're looking at here. And two cubits shall be its height. So it was about 36 inches tall. It was the tallest piece of furniture in the holy place, in the, in the main sanctuary. Its horns shall be of one one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. Why, why are we worried about bearing it? Because we're on a camping trip, and we're moving, we're moving around, right? So you shall... Um, Again, make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony. So if we could imagine, if you will, um, looking up there, the golden altar of incense is right up there against the, I know it's a black line up there, but that's the veil that's, that's there that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. Find where I was. Uh, Before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. That's a pretty key word, isn't it? Where God will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it 
or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. In other words, God's giving some really, really strong instruction here to say this thing is for one thing and one thing only. It's for burning my incense that I'm telling you about. And, and I'm not going to go into the, um, the recipe for this incense, but I'm going to tell you guys that I, I believe it's somewhere around five or six uh, ingredients, but there's three main ingredients in that. And then frankincense and salt, I think, and I can't remember the names of them. If somebody wants to be an overachiever, you could look up the names of the, um, the ingredients if you'd like. Uh, I had them. I just forgot to put them in my notes. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year. He shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. <clears throat> Let's go to the next picture of the diagram of the tabernacle. You guys got a few more words. Can you guys read most of those? So I put this arrow there because I want you guys to realize that if I could, I'm, I'm going to just zip back here for a minute because I want you guys to realize something that what's happening here is, is if we were going to enter in to the outer court, we've got the brazen altar and that's where the sacrifice is made. And then the priest, after making that sacrifice for you, the priest would go to the, the bronze laver and wash up, wash his hands, wash his feet, and then would enter into the holy place and the lampstand and the table of showbread would be there. But you guys, what I, what I see is God helping us understand that he wants to take us somewhere. He doesn't want us to get hung up just looking at the golden lampstand or, or just looking at the, the table of showbread, but he's taking us somewhere. And part of that, that destination is the golden altar of incense. And I'm not going to be able to get into the depths of that today. We're going to uh, head that direction and then, and then do some more next Sunday. But um, it's the proximity to the veil. It's the proximity to the Holy of Holies that I think is significant for us. But it's also significant because it is sinner. It's when you open it, there it is. You can't miss it. That gold is, why is it gold? Do you, you guys remember why we, we talked about that a few weeks ago? Why is, why is the outer court bronze and the inner court gold? Or the um, holy, holy place? Why, why are those things gold? You found the, look at you. Can you even say them? Okay. It's probably the other reason why I didn't pull it up. Yeah, frankincense. You can say that one. So, why is it gold? Pardon? More pure? Gold speaks of royalty. You, you, you talk about the bronze out in the outer court. That speaks of our humanity. It speaks of our sin. It speaks of doing business out there. That this is the stuff that's going to be taking the brunt of it. But then when you go into the holy place, it's gold. When you go in the holy of holies, it's gold. Why? Because God is king. And it's royal. Incense is burned continuously and is specifically rekindled when the lamps are tended. So 
<clears throat> like I said, my illustration is a candle rather than burning incense. But in this case, what would happen is the priest would have to bring in, they figure, a half a pound of incense every time that they came in to tend the lamps. So let me, let me give you guys some numbers on that just for fun because I kind of geek out on this stuff. This service would be performed at least 700 times per year by the priest. Approximately 350 pounds of this special incense had to be made so that it could be used every year. The one thing that, that we need to know about this is, is that this incense is completely unique. It can only be made for and used in the tabernacle. According to Exodus 30, 37 through 38, it says, But as for this incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. Sounds pretty serious to me, doesn't it to you? So you're saying, why, why does this matter? Well, because the fragrance of this incense would therefore be directly related to the worship of God. And specifically to the holy place and access to the holy of holies. Well, why does that matter? Well, remember we talked a few weeks ago about God stimulating the, the senses. That um, when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned, the spiritual man basically had the lights put out. It was dead. It wasn't functioning anymore. Not to mention the fact that the Israelites here that are receiving all this information have spent 400 years in slavery. Most of us don't relate well to slavery. We, we've never had anything closely related to that. We've never experienced anything. I mean, the most we can say is, yeah, I work for the man. You know, I have a job, and I have to work for this really terrible boss. And you can you say all sorts of stuff like that, but we don't understand slavery. And one thing that I, I'm pretty sure of is that the Israelites not only understood slavery, they were good at it, but at the process of that, they were probably traumatized at least portions of, of that population had to be traumatized by what they went through. Up to this point, all they had were, uh, was a verbal account of their history and specifically a verbal historical connection to the faith of their forefathers. So God is restoring something of the spirit man by addressing their five senses, touch, taste, sight, sound, and smell. The tabernacle would be a central point of awakening the spirit of man by appealing to those five senses. Can you imagine going into the outer court? First of all, just approaching, and we don't have it up there right now, but just approaching this white, you know, I've, I've addressed it several times. I just think it'd be so cool to see with all the tents around it. And, and here's this white linen, seven and a half foot tall fence around this whole thing, and then inside it is, is this tent, this tent of meeting, this tabernacle that God instructed them to, to make. And so do you think there's anything of the senses being stimulated when you look and you see there's God in the center of camp? There's a white fence. It's hard to miss. It's made out of white, fine linen. I mean, who ever thought of making a fence out of white linen? 
in the wilderness. So why, why is God doing all of this? As, as you walk in, you would have experienced, I, I think part of the... I think part of the brazen altar would have been, depending on what was being sacrificed, could have smelled good at times, but then there were other times when the whole animal was put on there, and the whole animal, there would have been some stench to that, don't you think? The smell would have been like, whoa, you know, as the, the hair and the hide are burnt off, and then you get to the meat, and, and I don't know if any of you like to barbecue, like to grill, probably like me, that that oftentimes when I'm grilling the meat, I think of the sacrifice. I know I'm kind of sick that way. But, but don't you guys ever think about the meat on the altar is being consumed by fire? And it's in that place that the senses are going wild. One, you're seeing stuff happen. You're touching things. You're, you have your hand on an animal and you feel it's life, blood, drain out of it. You know, some of you are saying, man, this sacrificial system sounds really, really ugly. And, and I want to say to you that sin is really, really ugly. And that's what God, through the senses, is trying to awaken the spirit man in, in the people of Israel. So um, the significance of, of smell, I want to get to this, but they would pour out this incense on burning coals. And this is in complete difference. I mean, one, you're out in the outer court and you've got all kinds of smells and things going on, but then you walk into the holy place and you've got this aroma that's permeating your nostrils and it's just like, wow, this is sweet smelling. It's amazing. We, we don't even know what... Uh, some of those ingredients really are or how to make this um, incense that, that God gave Moses the ingredients and the recipe for. But we do know this, that the senses would have been stimulated and the sense of smell is very powerful. In fact, you guys, that's why I wanted to get to this point. Because when, when I talk to you about camping, it didn't take any time for Mia to be able to instantly respond What's your favorite smell about camping? Her hand was right up. She blew all of your guys' doors off. And, and the reason is because smell is so important to us. And God knew what he was doing. He created us this way. And so he's awakening the spirit man with a smell. And um, so I want to give you guys some uh, fun little uh, points that maybe you didn't know. Did you know that that the sense of smell is the only sense that is directly connected to the brain. Everything else, all of our other senses have to travel a pathway, but up, up this thing, it's, it's going to reach the, those receptors, and those receptors are actually connected directly to the limbic system, the, the system that's very much at the center of your brain. It's the place where motivation, memories... Um, it's, it's, um, deep feelings are rooted in the limbic system. So the sense of smell, by the way, is 10,000 times more potent than taste. The sense of smell can distinguish this, this one kind of blew me away. 
But uh, it used to be that, that they thought that you could only smell about 10,000 different things. But that study was done clear back in the 20s. In a more recent study, I believe it was 2014, they did an intensive study and found out that the human sense of smell can distinguish at least one trillion different scents. Yeah, I'd quit counting. Yeah, right. Scent cells are replenished every 30 to 60 days. This one blew me away, but again, it was one of those things. I double-checked it. I looked at some different uh, resources. You can smell fear and disgust. I thought that was kind of interesting. And you probably already knew this, but women have a better sense of smell than men. So what, what's all this mean? Well, first of all, God created man and knew the sense of smell could help us return to him. Stimulating a current and future awakening in his people. We sing a song about he's awakening the hope in me. This sense of smell would be a part of God awakening and maintaining a spiritual connection to his people through multiple generations. And, and let me put it this way. Lance, I don't know if, you're, if your dad growing up, I'm, I'm saying this because you're a pastor's kid, and I don't know if there was a particular Sunday smell that you grew up with. In our early days, I wasn't a pastor's kid, but I, I, I remember there was a particular smell in our house on a Sunday morning, and it involved several things. And this is before... Uh, the buffet started being open on Sundays. This is back when, before that travesty occurred, all right? Because all of the Sunday morning church crowd went to the buffet after church. Anyway, I, I digress. But here's what I remember about Sunday morning. I remember Old Spice. I remember Groom and Clean, unless my dad was uh, feeling wealthy and then he had Wild Root. Uh, and, then, and then I remember Roast Beef cooking in the oven. But I'm asking you about your dad because your dad would have had a particular um, habit, kind of a routine that he did on a Sunday morning. He may have been up and gone before you were even up on a Sunday morning. But as a kid, you probably remember coming home after church and your dad probably smelling a particular way or different things, and it's okay if you don't remember any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the reason why I bring this up is because I started thinking about if your dad was the priest who brought a half a pound of this stuff in, and, and he's, and, and by the way, he's taken a coal from the brazen altar and mixed it with the incense and lit it so that it's burning, 
and he's bringing it in and he's going to kindle it on, or he's going to put it on the, the golden altar of incense. And, and, and as he's doing that, I'm just thinking about when the priest went home to his kids, do you think he smelled a particular way? I think, I think the kids, what ended up happening, because in that system, if your dad... If, you're, if you were a son and your dad was a priest, you knew automatically where you were going to be. You're going to be a priest someday. And so that smell is getting in there at a very early age. They're smelling their, their dad come home and they're, and they're smelling this sweet smell of incense. And I want to I submit to you guys that if we can smell fear and disgust, we likely can smell love and affirmation. And what's happening for that priest as he comes in is he's, he's affirming this is the direction God wants us to go. This is the place he wants us to be. He wants us to come in. He doesn't want, to stay, want us to stay out in the outer court. He doesn't want us to stay hanging out around the brazen altar. He wants us to come into the place of relationship. He wants us to come into that place of communion with him. And that's why the incense was always burning. It was always being go, It was always having that, that smell going up that it's a sweet aroma to the Lord rising before his throne that it is it symbolizes many things but one of the most important things or maybe maybe just to say the simplest thing is it represents relationship with God and it really represents Stephanie what you said this morning is that God wants to take you in deeper and and you can't hang out at the brazen altar of putting all of your failures on that because where you're going to really experience the change is when you go in to the holy place and you begin to realize that he's lighting things up in your life. He's strengthening you. He's giving you the sustenance you need. And he's drawing you into that place where he talks to you and speaks to you, not just you speaking to him. Is this making sense? So the smell drives us into this. And the reason why this is so interesting to me is because over the years that we've been in this building, I have had more, more people walk in the front door that have never been in this building. These are people that don't know each other. They've walked in, and the first thing that they've said is, man, it smells good in here. And I would, I would say to you that what they smell is the presence of worship. They smell something that's been left that, like I said, if people, and, and I read this, the the report of how they, they figured out that, that you could smell fear. They took men in a, a stressful situation where they were literally afraid, and they were sweating they were so afraid. I don't know how they scared them so bad. Maybe they showed them a really scary movie or something. I don't know what they did, but they took that sweat, and then they exposed that to women who had no idea what they were smelling, and the women would describe that they were afraid. And then they did the one where, um, what was the other one? Disgust. That they were uh, showing uh, men things that, that, again, were disgusting and frustrating. And they did the same thing. The women were, ugh, turned, just completely 
turned off by that. And I, I just think, again, if we can smell those things, if, if God created our sense of smell to be that distinguishing, he did it not just so we could ex- exist in this world, but so that certain things would draw us closer to him. So conclusion, at least for this week. You guys, I'm going to read this scripture to you, and I have never, ever connected this to the tabernacle. But, man, I now I, I can't read it without seeing it. So if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I wish, I wish there was something we could do, you know. I know some liturgical churches use um, incense in worship. And part of that is to, again, help people associate a particular smell with worship in the church. I, I really don't want to do that. One, because some of the incense that I smell isn't pleasing to my nose. <laughs> but I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Did you guys catch that? Diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Catch that. Tommy, you are to God the fragrance of Christ. I I think that's just crazy amazing. Amber, when God goes, man, that smells like my son Jesus. Amber's been hanging out with my son, man. I can smell it all over her. And you you guys, I know when I'm talking like this, it's like it almost allows our mind to go, you know, weird but I want, you to, I want you to understand something. If God smells something and he says that it's good, it's good. The same way that in a little bit when we go in and we eat in here, I know there, Lance, did you make enchiladas? And I made enchiladas. So there are at least two cans of enchiladas in there that you guys could take a whiff of and you could go, man, that smells, that smells like good food. There's, there's some beans in there that have been cooking. Those are going to smell amazing. But for us, we've been, (laughs) if you guys can think of it this way, we've been in the oven with Jesus. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Steph, who's sufficient for it? You're not, but you are, because you've been hanging out with Jesus, right? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, 
but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. God is still using the sense of smell in Corinthians to to use as a metaphor of his work in his people. Fragrance is most often released in the pressures of life. In fact, if you guys go in and study how some of the, these things are made, you realize that uh, some of, one of the ingredients is a particular kind of seashell, and it has to be ground to powder. And if I remember uh, what I read good enough, that particular powder wasn't so much a particular fragrance that was being in, uh, included or inserted into this incense. It was a smell-enhancing ingredient. So it, it caused, just like salt brings out more flavor, this particular ingredient brings out more sense of, of what, what the other things have to give. So God is still using this sense of smell as a metaphor of his work and his people. Fragrance is most often released in the pressures of life. These small quantities of resins and powders are produced through the process of, of heat and pounding, grinding these things into dust. And that signifies the trials and testing. The aroma of death leading to death, that's the sacrifice on the altar, the brazen altar. To some, they just can't move past the stench of the sacrificial system. In other words, what Steph was describing this morning is a Christian who hangs out at the brazen altar, keeps trying to bring everything there instead of moving into the place where things can really change. Some will be repulsed, repulsed by the aroma of Christianity because there are some Christians who constantly dwell in the place of focusing on sin and the need for covering and removing of sin. This may be where some refer to hypocrites in the church because these Christians never, be, never move beyond the sacrifice. The aroma of life leading to life is the golden altar of incense. There are those who have moved into an increasing understanding of fulfilling God's purpose of relationship with us, to intercede and pray for those who need his help, to be drawn deeper into relationship with God, not content to stay in the outer court. These are the ones who desire to go deeper and be transformed by the renewing of their mind as they humbly and prayerfully come before God. Some people are repulsed by Christianity because they have only seen the outer court. They have not ever come into the place where there is the deep, intimate relationship with God. The tabernacle reminds us of God's plan to redeem us and draw us into His presence. The smell of God's big camping trip becomes an aroma of life or an aroma of death. My word to us this morning is let's go deeper so that there's an aroma of life coming away from our lives so that we're like that priest that goes home and his kids go, Dad, you smell so good. Let's go deeper. I don't know if that made sense to you guys or not this morning. But I know I don't want to be the aroma of death, but in some cases, 
I like how, how it said it. One of the places I was studying said that if your sense of smell is messed up, you're always going to smell things that are off. So if, if the majority of us in this room smell a, a rose, we're going to go, oh, that smells like a rose. But if, if somebody's sense of smell, they're going to smell it and go, man, it smells like a marigold. Anybody remember what a marigold smells like? It doesn't smell good. Exactly, Cindy. I want to I, I be more on the rose side of things than the marigold side. And so as we come to this table this morning and partake, <clears throat> could we remember that God is moving us to this place? Yes, this bread is, is similar to the bread of presence. It's a place where the priest partook of the bread. And this juice represents the blood that was shed for our sins. in the outer court. But you guys, all of this was done to move us in to his presence. It's not a matter of you straightening things up in your life. It's a matter of you just submitting your life to Christ. It's not a matter of you trying to get good enough before you make that decision. It's a matter of just coming to Jesus and saying, I need your forgiveness. I need your life. So, Lord, as we come before this table, Lord, it's just some broken up crackers. It's some grape juice that's been poured into these cups. But, Lord, we partake of this because it's a physical act just as you were revealing yourself to the children of Israel through physical sense sensical <laughs> means lord to awaken their senses to to identify with the spiritual reality of what you were doing in them that lord you're doing the same thing with us you're having us partake of something that you told us to do a physical act to identify with spiritual things that you're doing in our lives. So as we come to this table, we're saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I need your strength. Jesus, I need your blood. And you washed all of my sins away. And now I'm in that place of holiness. Now I'm in that place of fellowship with you. In that place, Lord, bring us to a more intimate, not only knowledge of you, but an intimate transformation to where we begin to sound like you, look like you, walk like you, talk like you, have faith like you. Lord, thank you that Jesus, you were revealed in the shadow of the things of the tabernacle, but Lord, you are seated in the actual place of holiness. You're seated in the real place, not the shadow of those places. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come to this table.
and partake, knowing that our sins are forgiven, that you accept us as we are today, as we put our faith in you, Jesus. Amen.